Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today we're going to wrap up our series, Parental Guidance, from Proverbs. And so we'll be in the book of Proverbs looking at different verses. It's a very topical book. Um, I came across a story this past week, David McCullough, in his book, Mornings on Horseback, tells the story about young Teddy Roosevelt. When he was a child, his mother, Mitty, found out that he was afraid of going to church, to the Madison Square Church, that he would not go to church if he was alone. He was terrified, she discovered, of something called zeal. Well, according to Teddy, it was crouched in the dark corners of the church, ready to jump at him. When she asked what a zeal might be, he said, I'm not sure, but it's probably like a large animal, like a, an alligator or a dragon. He had even heard the minister talk about zeal from the Bible. So what every mom would do, she had a Bible concordance. She got it out and she began to look up the word zeal and she began to read to him every verse in the Bible that has the word zeal in it to find out what was going on. And suddenly he got very excited and he told her to stop. The verse that she read was John 2, 17. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. You know, people can justifiably be afraid to come near the zeal of the Lord in fear of being ate up, but that's only if they don't belong to the Lord. The punchline is, God is good, but He's not safe. Think about that. God is good, but He's not safe. Why do I say that? Because He's a holy God, He's a righteous God, and He's a just judge. And one day, someday, He's going to hold the entire world accountable to Him. And so today, I want to talk to you about growing in the fear of the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about today is the fear of the Lord. Now there's several proverbs about the fear of the Lord. I'm going to rattle a few off to you quickly if you want to write these references down. They're all from Proverbs. Proverbs 14:27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. Well, if I just used one verse, I may use that one because it says so much. You know, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a fountain of life. It'll keep you alive. It'll turn you away from the wrong path and from the snares of death. So the fear of the Lord is a good thing. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. One will sleep at night without danger. Proverbs 16, verse 6, Iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. Notice that second part of the verse. What, what causes people to turn from evil? It's having a fear of the Lord. Proverbs 23, verse 17 and 18. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Instead, always fear the Lord, for then you will have a future and your hope will not be dashed. You know, many times, sometimes people can get weary of doing what is right and what is good, and it's real easy to believe lies in, in the world and in society. And the Bible says, don't let your heart get to that point. 
always fear the Lord because then you have a future and a hope and it will not be dashed. Um, the key verse, I think, in Proverbs is chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. So think about that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I know I'm talking to a church full of educators. Do we ever make that connection between knowledge and the fear of God? You know, we really should, right? We really should. Because true knowledge, and I'm not talking about the kind you get out of, out of a book or a classroom, but true knowledge starts with recognizing there is a God, that He's real, that He exists, that He is a holy God, He is a righteous God, and that He is a just judge, and one day we will all be accountable to Him. And the fear of the Lord is a good thing. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. I believe that's not the first time we've read that already. But the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. So notice that wisdom teaches us to fear God, according to Proverbs 15, 33. Let me give you a couple more. Proverbs 15, 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. And then the last one, Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children have a refuge. What a, what a benefit for those who believe. Now, I know that was a lot of random verses from Proverbs, but I wanted you to see for yourself that more than one occasion, the fear of the Lord is referred to or mentioned in the book of Proverbs, and it's there for our benefit. It's there for us to be aware of. You know, and as I was thinking about the fear of the Lord and what it looks like and what it means, I thought, you know, we really need some examples to, you know, point to. And then I immediately thought of these three people that I want to mention in the Old Testament that were known for their fear of God. Let me give you example number one. Remember Job? Remember Job who... God said there's no man on earth like him. He's upright and blameless. Well, in Job 1, verse 1, when we're introduced to Job, uh, here's what it says. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, you could basically say that was his epitaph. That was that you could put that on his tombstone. You know, the patience of Job that we always talk about, all the bad things that he went through, and yet he didn't curse God. He remained faithful to God. And then at the end of the book, you know, he ends up being doubly blessed. But here at the very beginning of Job's story, we're told he's a man of integrity. Why? Because he feared God and he turned away from evil. That says it all, does it not? That was the secret to Job's integrity. He feared God enough to turn away from evil because he did not want to face God uh, on Judgment Day unprepared. And so that's Job, Exhibit 1. Let's look at example number 2. This one's perhaps my favorite. You've heard me talk about Joseph in the Bible, the son of Jacob. He had all those brothers 
And uh, Jacob was a favored son. You know, his dad had a special coat or robe made for him. And uh, the other siblings are so jealous of Joseph that they fake his death and they sell him into slavery and he's taken off by the slave owners to Egypt. And they go, hey, we'll never see him again. They fake his death when they, before they go home. So they've got a story. They all collaborated. They've all got each other's alibis. They go home and show their dad the robe and blood's on it from a wild animal. And I guess a wild animal got him. What a shame. You know, that was their story and that's what they stuck to. And years later, a famine comes upon the land and eventually they have to go to Egypt to find food. And to make a long story short, it was a windy, twisty road. It wasn't an easy road for Joseph. But ultimately, Joseph is promoted, and he's second in command of Egypt. And he's in charge of dispensing food during a famine, and here comes his brothers. And they don't recognize him. I mean, they, at this point, they figure he's dead somewhere. He didn't make it too well. And they don't recognize him because he's dressed like an Egyptian and all of that. And uh, he knows who they are. They ultimately have to come back for a second, a second trip later to get food. And uh, he decides on that first trip that he's going to hold them all in jail. And then after he cools off and thinks about it, he says, you know what, I'm going to keep one of you. I'm going to send the rest of you home. And when you come back, you better prove to me you are who you say you are and you're not spies. And uh, in the three days that Joseph took to make the decision, am I going to hold them all here and send one home or am I going to keep one of them here and send the rest of them home? He comes to his brothers. He hasn't revealed his true identity yet. And in Genesis 42, verse 18, it says, On the third day, Joseph said to them, I fear God, do this and you will live. I love that story and I love the statement because Joseph's probably got all kinds of emotions that he's held back for years. And now this dream that he told his brothers, one day you're going to bow down to me, well, now it's happening. Here he is you know, on a throne. He's second in command of all Egypt. Here they come. They don't know who he is. They bow down. They need help. They're dependent on him to give food. And all this stuff just comes up you know, to the surface. And I'm sure even though he's a man of integrity, even though he ultimately did the right thing, all of these emotions are just fresh and they're real and they come up. And it takes him three days to sort it out before he makes a final decision. And when he makes that final decision, here they are, here are the brothers that are supposed to be God-fearing people and they're in the land of Egypt that worships many gods, little g, many gods, idols, okay? And here comes the man, and he looks at them, and he says, I fear God, do this and live. Don't you love that? Because that's what the fear of God will do. The fear of God will make you pause before you make a major decision and say, do I really want to do this? Am I willing to live with this outcome? Because if not, I need to back up. I need to pray. I need to get in God's Word. I need to talk to some wise Christian people. I need to really process this. And then when you do that, I believe you can do what Joseph did. You can say, I fear God. Let's do this and we will live. Well, that's the second example of, 
of fear of God in the Bible and what it looks like. The third and final example is Nehemiah. You remember, you remember Nehemiah. He was, um, he was among those that were taken taking captive in the Babylonian captivity. He was taken uh, out of his homeland. And here he is serving in Babylon. And he ends up being the cupbearer to the king. And that is a big deal. Because if you're cupbearer to the king, you test everything in the cup before he drinks it so that someone doesn't try to poison the king. It's a very uh, important position. It requires a lot of trust. And, uh, and so he's the cupbearer to the king, and he gets news about Jerusalem, how the, the walls are broken and the city's been burned, and it's just a horrible situation. And he begins to pray and fast, and finally one day he has the courage to say something to the king. King, can I make a request? He says, with your permission and approval and with your provisions, I want to go back to Jerusalem and I want to rebuild the walls and protect the city. And ultimately, the king grants his request. And so five chapters into the story of Nehemiah, a lot is going on. And, he, and, 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 and like anything else in life, when you try to clean up a mess, when you try to fix a problem, and you enter into that problem, not really knowing what you're getting into, but you're ready to tackle it and do something about it and make it better. That was Nehemiah. He steps into a, a really bad situation, and once he gets in the middle of it, he realizes it's, it's kind of worse than what he thought, and he realizes that the, the leaders that he's dealing with do not have the best interest of the people. They're taking care of themselves first. And so in Nehemiah 5, verse 15 Nehemiah says this, he says, The governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people, but because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. Isn't that good? That, that's the kind of integrity that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah said, I entered, I entered the situation, and those that before me, they took advantage of people. They put themselves first. And he says, I saw how it had a trickle-down effect to those beneath them, and it burdened the people. And he says, here I am, and I could easily do the same thing. Nobody would blame me, and I would blend in. I'd be another cog in the machine. But he says, I can't do it. Because of the fear of God, I won't do it, and he didn't do it, and that made all the difference. So truly, when we fear God, it has a profound effect on our decisions and our behavior. But let me say this. We live in a world where many people don't fear God. Romans 3.18, when Paul the Apostle wrote uh, his letter about the gospel to the church at Rome, he quoted Psalms, and it says in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. If you want to know why the world is in such a mess, if you want to know why people are stuck in their sin, it's because there's no fear of God before their eyes. Oh, God doesn't see. God doesn't care. Oh, God's not going to judge me. Well, the God I believe in would never send anyone to hell. I bet you've heard all those things before. Maybe you've said those before. But here's the reality of it is, there are people that don't fear God. And so I want to ask the question and answer the question this morning, how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? I mean, obviously we should 
have the fear of God in our life. It's for our good. It's a good thing. It will help us avoid evil. It will help us to enjoy life. But how do we grow in this fear of the Lord? Well, I've got three short answers for you this morning. Number one, remember that we are all accountable to God. Ecclesiastes, which is a book written by King Solomon, who was known as the wisest man who ever lived. And at the end of Solomon's letter in Ecclesiastes, he wraps it all up, he sums it up with this statement. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, when all, has, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep His commands, because this is for all humanity. Next verse, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Now let's reverse engineer this for a moment. Let's start with verse 14 and work backwards. In verse 14, he declares, as a matter of fact, that God is going to bring every act, everything that we do, He's going to bring even the hidden things, whether good or evil, He's going to bring them out on the day of judgment. Let that sink in for a moment. One day, God's going to bring everything out on the day of judgment. And with that being so, with that being true, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says the conclusion is this, fear God and keep His commands. If you do that, you won't have near as many regrets, especially on that day. And so how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? We need to remind ourselves that we're going to be accountable to God. The second thing, is to choose to obey God regardless of the cost or the consequences. I'm reminded of the story of Daniel. You know the story about Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were, uh, they were gathered. The, the entire group of people were gathered. And the king presented this huge statue. And he says, all right, everybody's got to, on the count of three, when they play the music, You better bow and worship this statue. If not, you're going to die. Well, what's most people going to do? I'm not going out like this. So they hear the music. Down they go. Except for three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, there's always somebody looking, right? And somebody got word to the king. Hey, those three young Hebrews back there. You know, the ones in the back. they, They didn't bow. They stood. And so word gets back to the king, and he summons them to his court. Now they're called out. Now they're on his turf. Now they're standing before him, and he's on the throne. Second time. All right, fellas, this is the way it is. I'm giving you one last chance. You hear the music, you hit the floor and worship, or you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. I think you remember the story now. Here's what it says when they replied to the king. They said in Daniel 3.16, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods 
or worship the gold statue you set up. And the rest is history. They were thrown into the fire. And then the king began to look. And he says, what's going on? I see a fourth man in the fire who looks like a son of God. Well, hello, king. There's your sign. He was. They came out. They were unharmed. Not even their hair was singed. And it was an amazing testimony of God's power. But when you grow in the fear of God, you have to choose to obey God regardless of the cost or the consequences. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And then the third and final thing this morning, how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? We have to maintain a faithful walk with God by pleasing Him. I'm reminded of Psalm 19. Psalm 19, a portion of it says this in verse 9, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and they're sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me, and then I'll be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. Now let's process that for just a moment before I read the last verse. Here is David, a psalm of David, and David's saying the fear of the Lord is pure. You know, the fear of the Lord is really a key to a pure life. Um, you know, fast forward the tape in your mind, and when you're confronted with a decision and you know you shouldn't do it, instead of saying, oh man, if I do this and get caught, I'm going to be in trouble. If I do this and get caught, I'm going to get grounded from my parents. Oh, they might do this. Or even worse, if I do this and get caught and it's illegal, they might put me in jail. Nobody wants those outcomes, right? I'm just saying you didn't go far enough. If I do this, I'm going to have to stand before God and give account of that someday. Play the tape all the way out. Look at the ultimate outcome of the decision or choice you're going to make. Play it to the ultimate conclusion and say, is this what I want? Is this what I'm willing to live with? In other words, you might come to the conclusion, and I pray you do, that you'll say what Joseph said. I fear God. What Nehemiah said, I fear God. So here in Psalm 19, he says God's Word warns us. And God's Word helps us perceive our unintentional sins. It cleanses us from our hidden faults. It keeps us from willful sins. It cleanses us from blatant rebellion. Those are all landmines in life, okay? There are landmines in life right now. Depending on the steps you take and the decisions you make, you can have willful sins that I don't care what God says, I don't care what they say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, that's a willful sin. That, that can be a spirit of rebellion. Um, then there's the hidden faults, there's the things that we all have wrong with ourselves, but we don't see it, but those that love us are happy to tell us about it. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. And so we have all these things. How do we deal with that? 
Well, the last verse in Psalm 19, he says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You might say, why do I have to read my Bible every day, preacher? It's not just a religious exercise or activity. The reason why you need to read your Bible every day is you need to stay in step with the Spirit of God in your life. You need to position yourself to where you're hearing from God on a daily basis. And the best way to do that is to get into the Word of God every day. Prayerfully read it, reflect upon it, and respond to it. And say, Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Because if that's right, everything else is going to be right. There's so much he could have said, right? But the words of your mouth, where do they come from? Out of the overflow of your heart. If the words are right, if the heart's right, then it's all going to be right. And Lord, you're my rock. You're the one I lean on. You're the one I stand on. You're the one I depend on. And Lord, you're my redeemer. I couldn't do it without you. So what a beautiful prayer. Verse 14 is, my challenge to you this week is this. Get alone with God sometime this week and say, God, I want to learn to grow in my fear of you because I love you, because I want to serve you, because I want to stand before you someday and not be ashamed. I want to, I want to know that I did the right thing and I pleased you. And when I felt weak, when I felt overwhelmed, I didn't turn to me, I turned to you. And you gave me the strength to do the right thing. And so, Lord, I pray for the words of my mouth. I pray for the meditation of my heart to be pleasing and acceptable to you. Now, before you can pray that this morning, I guess we have to back up and say, is God your rock? Is God your redeemer? You know, you have to know the Lord if you're going to grow in your walk with the Lord. And I'm reminded of the beauty of the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He knew that the world needed a Savior. Why? Because we're all sinners. And so God sent His Son, Jesus, and He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that you and I deserve. He took our place on that cross. And now to all who recognize Him as the Son of God, who recognize the sacrifice that He gave for you and for me, if we're willing to come to the foot of the blood-stained cross and turn from our life of sin and trust and follow Jesus, then you too can be saved. I want to encourage today, if you've never took that first step, to take that first step now and trust and follow Jesus before it's everlasting too late. Let's all stand. Our musicians are going to come. This is going to be our time of invitation, a time to respond to God. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning. If you've never took that first step, it's my prayer that you'll take that first step. I'm right down here. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. Whatever you need me to do, I'm here to encourage you and pray for you today. And for those of you that already know the Lord, maybe you need to say, Lord, I want to grow in my fear of you. I want my words. I want my heart to please you in everything I do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for this message from your word. Lord, help us to grow in our fear of you. Lord, we honor you. We recognize that you are God. 
that you are a holy God and a righteous God. And Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to, to, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Lord, without him, we couldn't stand before you because you're a holy, righteous God. But Lord, because of the, of the sacrifice of Christ, we are now forgiven. We are saved and Lord, we're cleansed and we can stand in your presence by the blood of Jesus. Robed in his righteousness, clothed in him. Father, I pray today, speak to every heart. Have your will and way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com. Thank you.